House. I don't know if anybody has heard of Rafa House. Um, it is an organization that um, pulls children out of sex trafficking. Um, and so they prevent trafficking of children before it starts. They try to provide healing, hope, and freedom through quality care for children who have been rescued from trafficking. Um, they aim to train and reintegrate children who come into their care. They educate, educate, engage, and empower advocates to rise up and to fight injustice. So they have these things called aftercare campuses. Um, each aftercare campus gives child survivors of slavery and sexual exploitation the chance to name their lost childhood. Um, so girls who um, were abused and neglected, they are treated with love and they are shown that they are valued. Um, so. They, um, they walk with the girls through their healing journey to help them reach a life of freedom. So the keys to freedom, safety and basic care. So they provide foundational needs such as shelter, food, clothing, and security. They provide counseling and medical care um, to heal the wounds that are in, on their bodies and in their hearts. Um, they educate and train them for vocational training um, and things like that. And then they have social work and legal advocacy, so um, they are working in the pursuit of justice for these girls. They have um, Rafa Kids Club. Um, so these are programs that reach out to impoverished where the children are more likely to be victimized. So these kids clubs um, try to prevent um, kids from being pulled into sex trafficking. Um, so they, they love on the children, they teach them about Jesus, and they educate them so that they can have a better future. Um, so you can sponsor a child through Rafa House. Um, it's $40 a month, and it covers school fees, uniform, medical care, they provide rice for the family, and then they also provide a social worker for the child. Um, and when you like when you personally sponsor a child, you get a photo and info about the child, um, and then they have the opportunity to send you pictures. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The sponsor can send pictures and cards to the child. You, you can find out their birthday, and you can send them a birthday card, stuff like that. Um, they have the National Human, Human Trafficking Hotline, um, and then the phone number is 888-373-7888. And then you can also text HELP to be free if you suspect that you are witnessing a child being a victim of um, human trafficking. Um, there are a lot of ways that individuals can get involved or churches. Um, you can host a fundraiser. Um, you can host a documentary viewing and a discussion about Rafa House and about um, sex trafficking. Um, you can host a dinner party, you can have a fun run, which, I mean, it's cold right now, but you can do a fun run in the summer. Um, you can do a bake sale or make t-shirts. Um, and then there's also a freedom team, and then they, these are um, advocates to motivate each other to fight for justice. Um, so churches can start freedom teams, which is, um, which is really cool, or we can become a monthly church partner. So we're providing um, any extra funds that we can um, to go to Rafa House. Um, there's little info cards um, in the back. It's just got just like the contact information about Rafa House. They're on the um, black desk in the foyer. Um, and then uh, 
just, uh, Rafa House is something that, uh, Rafa International now, but it's something that has just been uh, very close to my heart and very, I found out about it. Um, I just, you know, we think of slavery and we think, you know, way, way back in the day, you know, um, with, with our, our country's history, but slavery is still something that is so much in effect today. It's just, it takes a different form nowadays. And so Rafa House, they are fighting to end sex trafficking and end sex slavery. So if you guys, you know, instead of coffee on a Sunday morning, uh, save up that money and put it in the Operation Generosity box in the back. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know we've been trying to figure out ways of being more generous this year. And so um, feel free to partner, drop off any funds in the back. And um, yeah, so we're going to call the ushers forward for our tithes and offerings. And um, yeah, God, we thank you that we have this great opportunity to be here in your presence today. I just pray that you will move in us just to will and to act according to your good purpose. God, I pray that whatever we give, it'll go to further your kingdom, God, and we give you the glory and we give you the praise. Amen. everyone here this morning. It's almost like I have to remember how to preach again. I have been, <laughs> I have been, you know, we just finished up our February missions month and we had different missionaries every week, which was really exciting. Did you guys enjoy that? Hopefully. Yeah, I was, I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, I know we had um, the Simnowitz and we had Nino, uh, who's always exciting. And we had uh, our own, very own Michael, Pastor Michael, who's down there in kids. And that Sarah Jackson, who was here last week. And so hopefully that, uh, that excited you guys and that, you know, you were able to see. Well, you know, one of the things that we always want to do is we, want, we, can, we don't want to just like blindly give, but we want to, we really want to put a face and a name to our giving. And so all of those people are missionaries that we support every single week through our giving. And so hopefully that kind of encouraged you and let you know about some of the things that we're doing um, all over the world. So um, that's it. So we today, we're actually going to be starting a new series called The Crown. Can you look to your neighbor and say The Crown? All right, wake up. Now look to your other neighbor and say, that's right, The Crown. Now look to your other neighbor and say, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're going to be talking about The Crown today. And so um, I don't know if you guys know, but crowns are kind of exciting, aren't they? Do any of you guys have a crown? Raise your hand. Does anyone have a crown? You have a crown. Give Casey a hand. She has a crown. Yes. So uh, I was doing some research, and the oldest crown that's around right now is called the crown of Princess Blanche. Uh, and it, 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 it's, it's a crown that was made back in the early 1300s. There's a bunch of diamonds and everything. Go and Google it, the oldest crown, the crown of Princess Blanche. And actually, I was able to get a copy of that crown here today. I'm just kidding. Okay. So you can come and take a look at that after service. And so, yeah, I actually have a couple crowns. I have just a generic, um, uh, I, I don't know if this is like a, uh, Julie gave that to me. We have just a nice diamond crown. And then we also have a, 
another crown as well. And so, I don't know, crowns are always kind of exciting. And so, I don't know if you know, but there are actually um, different crowns in Scripture. Praise the Lord. There are different crowns that are mentioned in Scripture, and these crowns are representations of the, the rewards and the gifts that God gives us. Uh, how many of you guys like rewards and gifts? Amen? And so I'm going to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation for you first, but today we're going to be talking about the crown of rejoicing, okay? So I'm going to lay a little bit of a foundation for you, and then we're going to talk about the crown of rejoicing. And I, I really think, I, I thought the crown of rejoicing was something completely different, but when I delved into Scripture, I found out the, that the crown of rejoicing was something different than what I thought it was. And so, so, so just to kind of lay a foundation first, because I don't want anyone to have any, 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 um, um, any um, misconceptions, a couple, couple foundational things for you this morning before we talk about the crown of rejoicing. First of all, I want, you to, I want to let you guys know that we are redeemed by his work. Amen? So in, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it, sa- it says, we have been saved through grace. Um, this is the gift of God, not that anyone can boast. Um, it, like we are saved through God's finished work on the cross. Like religion tells us that we have to do things to get to heaven, but as a Christian, we believe that he did things so that we could get to heaven, amen? So we're, we are redeemed through Christ's work, and that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Knowing that I have been crucified with Christ. I don't have to go and, 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 and be put up on a cross and die for my sins. Jesus already did it for me, amen? So we are redeemed through his work. The second thing, foundational thing that I want to let you know is not only are we redeemed by his work, but also there will be a judgment for all believers. We're redeemed by his work. There will be a judgment for all believers. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that each one must receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So there's a day when all of us are going to have to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is going to judge us on our faithfulness and on the steward and how we steward the things that he gave us. We're redeemed by his work. There will be a judgment for all believers. And then the, the last foundational thing, just to mention before I get into the message, is that God will, will reward those who follow him. God will reward those who follow him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said this. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven uh, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where neither thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that awesome? So we are redeemed by his work. There's going to be a judgment for all believers. We're redeemed by his work, but God will, re- God will reward those who follow him. And we can see in Scripture, again, that there are different crowns that are mentioned. In fact, in the New Testament, we can see that there are five heavenly crowns that are mentioned. Okay? Five crowns. The Greek word translated crown is Stephanos, which we get the name Stephan. It means badge of royalty. It means prize in the public games, or it's a symbol of honor. How many of you guys want a crown in heaven? Amen. 
How many of you want to be crowned with royalty and honor? Amen. A few of you guys? We're redeemed by his work. There's going to be a judgment, and God will reward those who follow him. God, right now, I just pray that you'll move in this place. God, I pray that you will do the work. God, as I preach your word, may you just make it come alive. May it speak to our hearts. May it speak to our minds. May it speak to our souls, God. May, may you do the work, and may we just take in what you have for us, God. I just pray for those who are here. Maybe they're struggling with some stuff this morning. I pray that you will encourage them and equip them and move them, Father. I, I pray that as we talk about the crown of rejoicing, Father, that it'll give us joy this morning as we think about the finished work of what you did on the cross, Father. I pray that we will be people that don't simply um, be, that we're not just simply a spectator in our life, but God, I pray that we will be a people that strive towards the prize, God. May we be people that seek you and pursue you and push after you with all that we have. May you receive the glory and may you receive the praise, God, as we uh, worship you this morning. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Okay. So we're going to talk about, now that we laid the foundation, there's five crowns. He did the work. There's a judgment. God will, God will reward those who follow him. Now that we've kind of laid that foundation, we're going to look at the crown of rejoicing. So look, look at your neighbor again and say, the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. I don't know if you guys know this, but the crown of rejoicing is actually only mentioned once in Scripture. Does anyone know where it's found? In the Bible. Perfect. Does anyone know what book of the Bible? It's in the New Testament, not the Psalms. Not in Revelation, the crown of rejoicing. Anyone else? Not in Jude. Any other guesses? No, not James, not John. No, not Ecclesiastes, not Phil. Okay, 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 okay. The crown of rejoicing is only found once in the Bible. One time in the Bible, and all of you are wrong. So go home. No, just kidding. All of you are wrong. The crown of, the crown, no, not First Corinthians. The crown of rejoicing is found in the book of First Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me real quick to First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. So put your finger there. Once you have your finger there, why don't you also go over to the book of Acts and put your finger on Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. So once you get there, raise your hand and say, I got it, Pastor. Okay, you forgot the verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20 is the first one. Once you get there, say, I got it. And once you have it marked, then also flip over to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Are you with me? I'm going to tell you guys about what the crown of rejoicing is. Are you guys excited? Are you guys, uh, yes, the crown of rejoicing. Okay, yes, okay, crown of rejoicing. Here we go. Crown of rejoicing. So let me give you, let, let's first read the verse, and then I'm going to give you some context, okay? So that you can understand the content of what we're talking about. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is the only place in the Bible where the crown of rejoicing is mentioned. A amen? It says this. It says, but we, brethren, having, having, been having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your faith face with great desire. Therefore, we come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Dirty Satan. 
For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Look at that. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? The only time in Scripture is mentioned right here. Our crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I'm going to read that again, okay? But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Our crown of rejoicing. Now let me give you a little bit of context to this passage of scripture, okay? The only time it's mentioned, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. It's written by the Apostle Paul. If you haven't heard of the Apostle Paul, he was um, a man who was radically transformed by the power of God. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, and the Lord got a hold of him and changed him from the inside out, and he went from persecuting the church to being an amazing advocate of the gospel. And he went out, and he went on four missionary journeys, and he planted churches, and he was persecuted, and he wrote letters to these churches, and uh, a lot of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. In fact, about two-thirds of the, of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul, so he was a, he was a founder of the faith. And on his, second on his second missionary journey, he ended up stopping at a place called Thessalonica. Um, uh, him and his friend Silas traveled there from Philippi, and they began to preach the good news, okay? So you're with me? Paul, this amazing man of faith, he goes there with his apprentice Silas. They went there from Philippi. So they went from Philippi to Thessalonica. And this is what happened in Thessalonica. If you're in Acts chapter 17, you can go ahead and read it there. Verses 1 through 5, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonoa, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and, demonst and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great number of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So if you kind of read between the lines there, Paul went to Thessalonica. He was there for three weeks. Can you look at your neighbor and say three weeks? He was there for three weeks. So not a long amount of time. He's there for three weeks. He goes, he goes to Thessalonica. From Philippi, him and Silas, they're hanging out. They're like, okay, we're going to go to Thessalonica. He goes to Thessalonica. He goes to the synagogue of the Jews, okay? So he goes to the synagogue of the Jews. He's there for three weeks. And what's interesting is it doesn't say that a bunch of Jews were saved and were transformed by the power of God, but it says that a number of devout Greeks were and not a few leading women. So in other words, a bunch of devout Greeks and a bunch of women were saved. Amen? Can we get hallelujah? Praise the Lord. So he goes there, and there's suddenly this revival where he starts preaching, and people start getting transformed by the power of God. He goes there, and he just explains Jesus, and he, and he explains how God changed his life, and he explained how um, God had done a work in him. He probably explained how he was on his way to Damascus, and he, was, he had this idea of killing, you know, and dragging off these men and women, and God got a hold of him and changed him. He shared his testimony, 
and Thessalonica was transformed. Amen? So you see this happening here in, um, here in Scripture. So he goes there. He preaches for three weeks. A number of devout Greeks, a great multitude of devout Greeks, and many leading women were saved. But then if you keep on reading on in verse 5, it says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, so remember, he went to the synagogue of the Jews. He goes there, and a bunch of Greeks and women got saved. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious and took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, poor Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So Paul's there. He preaches for three weeks. Multitudes of Greeks are saved. Bunch of women are saved. The Jews become envious. They form a mob. They attack poor Jason, and they force Paul to flee the city at night. And so Paul begins to write this letter to this church in Thessalonica, a church that he had only been at for three weeks, a church that he had preached the message of the gospel to for three weeks, a church that he had spoken to. He goes to the synagogue of the Jews, and by God's power, not, not a bunch of Jews were transformed, but a bunch of Greeks were transformed by the power of God, and a bunch of women were transformed by the power of God. So he's there for three weeks, only three weeks. And God did an amazing work in Thessalonica. So Paul, he, you, you, you can see in his wordage to the, to, to the church in, uh, of Thessalonica that he really loved them. He was, again, he was only there for a short time. And once he left, people had begun to come in and undercut and ba bad false teachers had come in. And they were, they were trying to distort what, what he had said. And, 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 and once he left, he's like writing them. And he's, he's, he, you can kind of see his wordage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where he says, um, uh, I remember uh, your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope in the Lord. And, and so he has, this, he has this connection with these people in Thessalonica. And again, if you go back to this passage of Scripture, just look at the way he speaks to them. He said, but we, brethren. You know, you, you call someone a brother, and they're like family, right? But we, brother, and he only spent three weeks with them, but we, I don't know if you've ever met someone before and you just got along so well with them right away. Like you met someone and you like had everything in common and you met someone and it's like, I don't know, you, you like, you know, you both like to play sports. You both like to run. You both like to wrestle bears. You both like to, I don't know, you just have everything in common. I kind of feel like he had this connection with the people in, in Thessalonica. So he says, but, but we brethren, like we're like family, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, uh, but but not in heart, endeavored more eagerly. You see, like, it's like you're my brother and I endeavored to see, but you were taken away, almost like a child being taken away from their parents. And I have this great desire, this great desire to be with you, to see you face to face. That great desire is the Greek word thymia, which comes from the word like thermometer that we get. So like we have, I have this great intense passion to see you. I want to see you face to face. I was with you for three weeks I was with you for three weeks, and you were transformed by the power of God. And I, I want to see you. I so want to see you again because I saw the work that God did in your life. I, I, like, I, I guess I, if, if, I, if I was Paul, and if I was thinking about these, 
these people in, Thess- in Thessalonica, I would think, okay, so I went there, I had to flee a mob, I had to run out of the city, I had to face persecution. I felt like the devil was attacking me from there. Like when I left that city, I'd kind of feel like I never want to go back again. But he says, brethren, I want to endeavor to see you. You were taken away from me like a child. I I have a great desire, this intense passion to see you. I want to see you just face to face. I feel like the enemy is holding us and taking us apart. What is the crown of rejoicing? We, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see you fa- to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. There's a con- we were talking about this on Wednesday night. There's a conflict to the gospel where the enemy wants to destroy what God planted, where the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? He he says it right here. Is it not even you? Is it not you? The crown of rejoicing is also called the soul winner's crown. You know, as a pastor, I feel like it brings me great joy. It brings me great, great joy when, when I'm able to see life change. It brings me great joy when I'm able to see people grow, growing closer to God. It brings me great joy when I'm able to see God move and to be a part of that. It brings me, brings me great joy when I see people worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning. It brings me great joy when we're able to help people with their next steps. We had our baptism night a couple weeks ago. That brought, that brought me great joy. I think that crown is given to us when we, as a church, as a people, as a body, the crown of rejoicing is given to us when we as a people, as a body of Christ, or individually, reach beyond ourselves and draw people to the kingdom. It's when we reach beyond ourselves and we draw people to the kingdom. It's when we reach out to the community. It's when we reach out to our family. It's when we reach out to our friends. It's when we reach out to our kids. When we reach out to our parents. When we reach out to the lost. When we reach out to the hurting. When we reach out to the Michigan State fans. When we reach to whatever. When we reach out beyond ourselves and draw people to the kingdom. And I think I really do believe this crown of rejoicing Like, I believe that when we are able to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? All of us are. When we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he's going to put a crown on our head. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to have a crown of rejoicing that he's going to be placing on our head when we get to heaven. Amen? Do you agree with me? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I think he also gives us little glimmers of of what that's going to feel like. And I think little times, uh, maybe time, maybe just t- little times now and now again, God gives us little tastes of heaven. I don't know, maybe, maybe you felt it before in worship. We've been worshiping and suddenly everything just seems to fade. 
and the Lord reaches down and he touches your heart. Or maybe you've had it uh, during a powerful message before. I remember um, I've, been on, I've, I've been in some services where the pastor seemed like he was speaking directly to me. The words that he was saying, well, it was like dealing directly with what I was dealing with. Or, or maybe you've had it where, where it's been a prophetic word where someone has spoken to you. I remember one time I was in a service and I was a youth pastor at the time and I had a kid in our youth group who was dealing with some stuff and his dad was a drunk and his mother was in a bad relationship and this kid was just going through a lot and this, 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 this pastor came up and gave this prophetic word over this kid and he said exactly that. He said, your mother is a drunk or your father is a drunk and your mother's in it. Like, I don't know, it was like in that moment, it, there was a suddenly the heavens were opened and I, I just, I could see God's presence and I don't know if maybe it's maybe it's in, maybe maybe it's where you've been in prayer in your prayer closet. You've been talking to God, and He spoke to you in a powerful way, and things just changed and transformed. I don't know if you've ever tasted or experienced just a little bit of heaven here on earth. You just felt God's presence and His glory and His power move in your life. You're like, man, I just really feel like God moved in a supernatural way this this morning or this evening. I don't, anyone else? Do you ever feel like that before? We've just gotten a little glimmer of heaven, a little glimmer of what the promises that God has for you, and you kind of hold on to it and you remember it, and you're like, yeah, I know that there's a king who is sitting on the throne, who is in charge. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. Like, you just feel and you hold on to that, and you're like, this is so awesome. Or maybe someone blesses you with something, like you were, like you were trying to, you're trying to, like, uh, pay your bills, and someone gives you just the right amount of money that you needed to pay your bills. And you're like, how did God know? And you just felt like a little glimmer of hope, and you felt a little glimmer of heaven. And I feel like that's kind of the, kind of the same thing. Like, I remember one of my sisters strayed away from the Lord, and she began to do her own thing, and she began to just, just really hitting rock bottom again and again and again. And I remember when um, she finally came back around and she finally began to serve the Lord again. It was like this, it was like the supernatural joy that the Lord had given me because I knew that the Lord had brought her back around. Like she was the prodigal son that the Lord had been waiting for and that he was bringing back again. And I feel like when I hear about the crown of rejoicing, that's exactly what it is. Like when we see someone who's been, been able to be drawn closer to God. At one time, they were far away. At one time, the, Thessal the, the, Thessal <laughs> the Thessalonians were far from Christ. And they were far, and they were struggling, and they were hurting, and they were, they, they were, they were distant, and they, were, they, they had all sorts of uh, Greek things, and they had uh, the, 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 the Caesar that was there that they were worshiping. And Paul came in, and he, he talked to them about the good news of the message. And he was only there for three weeks. He was only there for three weeks, and, weeks, and he was preaching and they even drove, the, the Jews drove him out of the city. You think, wow, on the outside, that man, that's kind of a, I mean, if you guys drove me out of here next week, I'd be like, wow, those guys are crazy. But he still looked at them with joy. And he said, you are my crown of rejoicing because of the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. And I think, I think sometimes God gives us those little glimmers of heaven when we're able to see someone transformed by the power of the majesty of God. The crown of rejoicing. Actually, the worship team can come back up. The crown of rejoicing. And when we get the crown, it's like we get a, a taste of heaven. It's also, I think it's almost like we get to join in with heaven. When someone draws near to God, 
In Luke chapter 15, it says that there's this parable of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And out of the hundred sheep, he had all but one of them. He had 99 of them. But one sheep was lost. He's looking for the one sheep. You think he'd be happy with 99 sheep? I'd be happy with 99% of the population of Taylor, wouldn't you? I'd be happy with 99 sheep, but he's looking for the one sheep. He's searching for the one sheep. He's trying to find the one sheep. I think you can really see the heart of God in this parable, the heart of the Father. This is what he says. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who needed no repentance. judgment for all believers where we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There'll be a time where we stand before him and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There will be no pain for for the former things have passed God will reward those who follow him.